We will come to the time now in our service where we will read together a passage from God's Word. We'll talk about what this means and why it matters and what we should do about it. So if you have a Bible with you or if you want to use the Brown Pew Bible in front of you, if you'll turn to Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 6. It's on page 684 in this Bible if you're using the Pew one. And when you found that, would you stand together with me and we'll read this passage together. As has been our pattern, I will begin reading at verse 5. And when we get to verse 9, the prayer that we read together with Kent, we're going to read once more together as a church family. So we'll read verse 9 through 13 together. I'll begin at verse 5. Matthew chapter 6. This is Jesus speaking. He says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Let's read together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is God's word. You may be seated. So let me pray for us just one more time and ask now that God's Spirit would come and open hearts and ears to receive what He wants to accomplish this morning. Father in heaven, we come now to Your Word asking that You would come and meet with us in powerful ways today. We believe this is a living and active Word. This is not just some ancient document written thousands of years ago that has no relevance to us today. The same Spirit that inspired these men to write it is alive and here today. And we believe He wants to accomplish something in each one of us. You've drawn each one here, I believe, for a purpose. And you tell us when you send out your word, it doesn't return to you void. It accomplishes the purpose for which you sent it. Oh God, accomplish that purpose in each one of us today. And as I always ask now, eternal God, would you move and govern my tongue to speak your truth? Amen. Listening to the rain outside, I'm thinking of it again. It's usually around this time of year that those with available means will seek an escape from the gray, rainy skies and cooler temperatures for sunnier destinations. Um, Hawaii usually being one of those popular destinations for people to travel to. And yet it wasn't a sunny escape in 1939 that led President Roosevelt to move the U.S. Pacific Fleet from California to Oahu, but the threat of war from the Imperial Japanese Navy Air Service. The U.S. military had set up a, a formidable operation there, a, a prepared well to stem and, and stop the expansion of the Japanese force into the Pacific. But two years after being stationed on the Hawaiian Islands, either from arrogance or apathy or just Come on, you're stationed in Hawaii. 
let's just say the, the readiness of that preparation had waned. One military historian recounts the events of that fateful attack on Pearl Harbor, December 7th, 1941, this way. Observing complete radio silence, the six Japanese aircraft carriers, two battleships, three submarines, and a support force of 20 ships had traveled 5,000 kilometers over 12 days without being detected. That was reason enough for jubilation. Reconnaissance planes found Pearl Harbor slumbering and completely unaware, and sailors cheered the two waves of bombers and fighters as they took off just before dawn on the unopposed 500-kilometer flight to Oahu. Japanese strategists believed that a surprise attack of such devastation, 18 ships destroyed, 347 aircraft put out of action in just 90 minutes, but that would sap materialistic America's will to fight and open up Asia for conquest. But even they hadn't counted on their opponent spending a lazy Hawaiian Sunday sleeping in and goofing off. The attack had preempted the base commander's regular golf date. Today we complete our series on prayer that we've entitled Ask, Accessing the Father's Heart Through Prayer. I think it's been an incredibly fruitful time together as a church family. I've heard stories from many of you how God is using this time to, to grow your love of prayer as well as your love of the one we're praying to, which is in the exact hope of this series. After looking at the what and the why of prayer, we've focused in specifically these last few weeks on Jesus teaching about the how of prayer, found in Matthew 6, classically called the Lord's Prayer. And that prayer, which we've seen is, is more of a template for prayer than a specific listing of things we need to pray verbatim, includes six requests, six petitions, if you will, that can easily be categorized into two groups of three. The first three, all about praise of God, our praise of who He is, an adoration of Him. Second three are all about focusing on personal requests for provision of bread, forgiveness, and for protection. What I tried to show you last Sunday was how all three of those personal requests ultimately find their fulfillment in Jesus. And yet, if you were here, you remember we also said it's not as though Jesus wants us to have to choose between literal provision, forgiveness, and protection, and a spiritual filling of that need. He wants to give us both of those things. And today, as we come to this last petition of the prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I want us to think about what is this prayer actually asking for? And why it is that Jesus would include this as one of only three personal requests that he wants us to lift to the Father in heaven. All of these last three requests, of course, are about acknowledging our need for something. They're acknowledging our inability. And they're also acknowledging our dependence on God and asking him to fill that need. Here, I think the easiest way to understand the need that needs to be fulfilled in this last request is we're asking for God's continued leading, while at the same time expressing our inability to lead ourselves. Why would we need to ask for that? Well, I think ultimately it's because of our proclivity of each and every one of us to forget that we still always need to be led by Him. 
Think about it. Think about your own life for a moment. Uh, maybe uh, you've had premarital counseling at one time in your life. Maybe you've read that book, What to Expect When You're Expecting. Or maybe you've just learned to hold the spoon and feed yourself as a child. Whatever it is, all of those things, for many of us, they can lead us into this idea that somehow we're now fully prepared. We're set up and totally ready to go. We can face any challenges or difficulties that may come against us now because we've, we've done those steps of preparation. Just as the, the size of that military force on the beaches of Oahu made them feel like, listen, we're ready for any attack that the Japanese may send. But as any of you who are married have kids, or have learned how to feed yourself, and I'm trusting the last one in particular covers all of us. As any of you know, those preliminary steps of learning, they don't prepare us at all for, for every challenge, every difficulty that we may face going ahead, not even close. And beyond that, even when you consider the example of the attack on Pearl Harbor, we see even good preparation can eventually become ineffective if we succumb to overconfidence or underestimating our enemy. The point at the end of the day is this. As the hymn writer said so well, we are all prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. The reason is because we're also prone towards an overconfidence in our own abilities. All of us. We're so prone to just pulling away our hand from our Father, just being like, thanks very much, I'm fine now. I got this. Even though over and over again we see yeah, we don't got it. Which isn't to say that we don't mature, that, that we need to be spoon-fed for the rest of our lives. But here's the reality. We never graduate to the place where we no longer need to be led by our Father. That, that time never comes. So to remind us all of our lifelong need to continually pray this sixth petition, I want to look at our passage this morning in just two ways. I want to show you the true nature of the request and then the true nature of our deliverer. Just those two things. The true nature of our request, the true nature of our deliverer. So if you closed your Bibles, would you open them again with me? Matthew chapter 6, follow along with me as we learn how essential it is for us to always ask, lead us. Let's look, first of all, at the true nature of the request. The true nature of the request. Look again with me at verse 13. Jesus says we are to pray, Father in heaven, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, what exactly is it that we're actually asking God to do when we pray that? What, what do we want the Father to do? Well, that's a great question, and the answer is not obvious right away. I mean, the sentence structure alone can make it difficult for most, if not all of us, to understand. And, and then how we even interpret that word, temptation. That's going to change. It's going to give us all kinds of different interpretations of what this request is actually asking for. So let's break it down into smaller pieces, and then we'll try to put it all back together at a whole, as a whole and look at it all together. First of all, that word Temptation. When we come to a word like temptation in Christian circles, that's pretty much, we always think of that negatively. It's always thought of as, as something that causes us to want to sin, and so we should avoid it, right? We should avoid uh, uh, opportunities for temptation. So in light of that, well, it makes perfect sense. We should ask God, hey, don't lead us into temptation. 
wait, wait a minute, wait. even as soon as we pray that request, a lot of us wouldn't want to stop and ask, wait, is that what God does? Does God lead us into places where we're going to be tempted to want to sin so much so that we'd, ask him, we'd have to ask him, hey, please stop doing that? Well, I think uh, Jesus' half-brother James in his own uh, letter that we have in the New Testament, I think is helpful in answering that question. James chapter 1, verse 13, James says this, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. Why? For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Okay, great. Okay, so seeing that in that light, that means we know at least what Jesus is not asking us to do is to not lead us into temptation in the sense of leading us towards opportunities to sin. Okay, we're not, we, don't, we don't need to ask the Father, please don't lead me to watch pornography. Uh, uh, please don't lead me to want to experiment with fentanyl. We, we don't need to ask the Father for that. Okay, great. But when we look more deeply into the Greek of this uh, letter that James wrote, we find that that word for temptation is, uh, uh, in verse 13 there, is perasmos. Lead us He's saying, when we are led into, uh, uh, we should not blame God because God is not tempted by, or perasmos, this idea of temptation. That word can also be translated as test or trial. Most often the, the immediate context is how we determine how that word is translated. So, again, earlier a few verses back in that same first chapter of James, James says this, maybe a well-known verse to you. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, he says, whenever you face perasmos, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Okay, so in light of that, we come back to this request, lead us not into temptation. We can see that Jesus also can't mean that we should ask the Father, hey, don't lead me into any of those situations that are going to try my faith in a way that's going to help me to grow in my faith and trust in you. We're not asking that either. Okay, so what are we asking? Well, I think if we look at the word halfway through the sentence, verse 13 there, that word but, that's going to help us get a bit clearer idea of what we're asking here. Look again at verse 13. Jesus says we're to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now that word but, when it shows up in the Bible, is very often important. It's, uh, all, it highlights something very clearly uh, uh, in Genesis 6, 8, speaking about Noah. Uh, in Ephesians 2, verse 4, speaking about grace, uh, salvation by grace alone. But is a very important word there. Here in our passage, it's essential because it helps us to see this sixth petition of the prayer, not as two separate requests, but as one. We're not asking God for two separate things here. We're asking him for just one. Augustine and Calvin and their commentaries on this passage both agree that word but connects these two clauses together, making it one and the same request. So Augustine uh, says that this, he says, the sentence ought to be resolved or translated this way. That we may not be led into temptation, deliver us from the evil one. That's, that's how he says we should read this last petition. 
Well, understanding that helps us in two ways. First of all, it helps us see, first of all, Jesus does in fact have a negative connotation for the word temptation in mind because it's connected to the evil one. So what this is, he's speaking about temptations to sin. Secondly, it helps us to see that in teaching us to pray this way, Jesus sees Satan. He sees the evil one as the one who would want to lead us into these situations where we'd want to give in to temptation, where we'd want to be tempted to sin. It's not the Father that does that. It's the evil one. And I think that's certainly uh, in line with a lot of what we read about Satan in the Bible. I mean, he is the, the, the roaring lion roaming around seeing who he might devour. He is the thief who comes only to steal and kill and destroy. He's the serpent between whom God put enmity, between him and the seed of the woman. And he is the the true enemy standing behind every human conflict that we endure. It's also in keeping with what we know about the world we live in. A world that is broken and still cursed by sin. A world, as pastor and author John Piper describes it, where we face endless choices every day between belief and unbelief between uh, obedience to God and disobedience. It's a world where Jesus himself promised you will have trouble. And it's also in keeping with what the Bible says is the true source of our problem when it comes to temptation, namely us. (laughs) That we are our own worst enemy when it comes to temptation. We know that because if you look Immediately following that verse in James where James says, we can't blame God, he cannot and does not tempt us with sin. He says this, but each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he's dragged away and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin when it is full grown gives birth to death. So what are we asking for in this petition? Uh, What's the true nature of this request? Well, the nature of this sixth petition, uh, like each of these petitions, it's first of all, it's an admission. We're admitting something to God when we pray this. In this case, we're admitting we can't navigate life on our own. We, We need to be led, which is an incredibly hard admission for us to make. I'm not going to speak for you this morning. I'll just speak for myself. I love uh, the inner fulfillments that I feel. I love the outer admiration that sometimes comes when I can do something on my own. I don't have any help from anyone else. And people could say, why you did that yourself? Wow. Which means at the end of the day, what I really love is to have my own name hallowed, my own name glorified. Anybody else can identify with that? Uh, We put our daughter in some riding lessons, and after she'd had a couple lessons, started to feel more comfortable, all of a sudden she hated to be led by her instructor with a rope anymore. She didn't want that anymore. When I learned how to drive a car, I I hated to have my dad or mom or my older brother have to be in the car with me anymore. Why? Because I've got this now. I, I don't need to be led by you anymore. I know how to do this, thanks. And how often do we say Or live out the truth of those exact words as our Father tries to lead us. As He lovingly comes to show us the way and we just say, no, no, I've got this. I know know what I'm doing, thanks. And it's usually failure or just greater experience that just shows us again and again just how little we know and how much we truly do still need to be led. 
So that's the nature of this request. Namely, it's an admission of our need to be led. What we're asking for very simply is this. For deliverance from giving in to the temptation of the enemy by being safely led by our Father. That's what this sixth petition, as we pray it, we're asking that the Father would deliver us from giving in to the temptations of the enemy by being safely led by the Father. And when I say safely led, don't, don't sensationalize that into something huge and big, like some big epic sin. I mean, I'd like to believe that nobody's going to leave here today, head home and after lunch, they're going to need to be safely led to not set up a meth lab in the garage. Probably then that's not a temptation you're going to be faced with today. I think much more often what we need to be led through is just the regular, everyday temptations that we face all the time. Those things that seem so insignificant. Oh, it's not that big a deal. Sometimes even led temptations towards things that on their own are good. Those are the things much more than some big epic temptation that we need to be led through because it's so innocuous. We've spent enough time struggling and on the beach that all of a sudden we forget, no, I still need to be led by you. C.S. Lewis said it this way, lead us not into temptation often means, among other things, deny me those gratifying invitations, those highly interesting contacts. Deny me that participation in the brilliant movements of our age, which I so often at such risk desire. You would think about praying this request that way, the everyday stuff. So that's what we're asking for, deliverance from giving in to those temptations that we face every day, those temptations of the enemy and being safely led by our Father through this life. And I think that second half being safely led by our Father, that's, that's what it's all about here. I think that's key because it's not at all that we're asking the Father, hey, hey, lead us from ever being tempted again. Lead us to a place where we're never going to face any struggle or any of these difficulties where I'll have to choose between belief and unbelief. Never lead me there. No, that's, that's not the world we live in. That's just not the reality. Whatever you may have been told, Christianity is, is not a free pass out of suffering and temptation. It's not. And even Jesus, when he was actually praying this sixth petition for us, in John 17, what did he say? My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, Father, but what? That you protect them from the evil one. As they're here. What we're asking him to do is to faithfully lead us as we face these temptations. They will come. But lead us as we face these temptations, Father, so that we'll be delivered from failing the test and incurring greater debt with you. Which, by the way, is one of the other things we learn about this petition. It's not a coincidence at all that this petition would follow immediately after what we looked at last week about asking God to forgive us our debts. For in a very real sense, what we're praying here is, Father, now that our debts have been forgiven, lead us, deliver us from giving in to temptation and incurring further debt with you. Protect that freedom from debt that you've already given us. All right, that's the true nature of the request. That's, that's what we're asking for 
when we pray this. Let's look finally at the true nature of our deliverer. The true nature of our deliverer. And this is something really beautiful to consider, actually, when we think about looking at this request in the context of the rest of the prayer. Particularly in remembering, as I've tried to show you each week, each and every one of these six requests is addressed to one person and one place alone, to our Father in heaven. That's where the requests Jesus teaches us to lift each one to. For he is both the one who is holy and sovereign ruler of all, as well as our provider, our deliverer, and our protector. Why would Jesus do that? Why would he say, deliver all your requests to our Father? Well, I'll give you a a recent example that might help you understand a little bit of what Jesus means. Uh, If your kids are out trick-or-treating at Halloween, if you do such things, and they come to a house where when they open the door, this guy has a, 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 a bathtub full of candy. And when they open their bags, he takes an ice cream bucket overflowing and just dumps it into their bags so that it's filling up. Sounds good, right? Where are your kids going to direct every other kid in the neighborhood that they see the rest of the night? To that place, right? You... Forget those other houses. Yeah, they're going to give you one or two pieces of candy. Where you need to go is to that house. That house right there, all your candy needs will be met in one place. That's the only place you need to go. In in one sense, that's a little bit of what Jesus is doing by directing us, lift your prayers to the Father in heaven. Bring them to him. Why? Because he knew the true nature of, of the deliverer to whom he was directing them. He knew the the generosity of his father who loves to welcome prodigals, who loves to go out searching for lost sheep. Jesus himself, of course, uh, uh, as the Lamb of God sent to die for the sins of the world as their substitute, he knew better than anyone the amazing, incomparable love of the Father's heart for this world. So, He taught us to direct our prayers to the one who he knew would always and ever be for us. Bring your prayers to him. You don't need to bring them anywhere else. What's really interesting to think about, actually, quite incredible, is if you look at Jesus' own prayer life during his earthly ministry, he did the exact same thing. He directed all of his own prayers to the Father. From, from his uh, 12-year-old confession in the temple, didn't you know I must be in my father's house? To his prayer outside of Lazarus' tomb before he raised him. Even to his prayers in Gethsemane, the night that he went to the cross. Over and over again, Jesus lived out his teaching on prayer. Offering up prayers and petitions, Hebrews 5 tells us, with loud cries and tears to the one That is his Father in heaven, who he knew could deliver him from death. How how gracious of Jesus to do that. How loving of him to teach us this way, to direct our prayers to such an infinitely gracious and loving source of help. I'm so glad he did that. Particularly then in this sixth petition even. Teaching us To ask the Father, not even for what we might want to ask for, but what he knows we need to ask for. Remember, he's teaching us what our greatest needs are. Why? 
Because as we read this morning, Kent read it in our worship time, because he knows our weakness. He knows we need to be led, both because he made us and because he took on human flesh and he knows what temptation feels like. And also because he knows the strength and the power of the enemy that we're facing. That's why he'd do that. Remember Jesus' loving uh, uh, warning to his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. What did he say to them? Watch and pray that you might not fall into temptation. Watch and pray. Don't, don't get complacent. Don't, don't give up and stop asking. You need to keep praying this. Why? He went on, For the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You don't have sufficient strength on your own to navigate this. You need to be led. Or even think of uh, Jesus' words to Peter. His warning earlier that night saying, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you all as wheat. But what? But don't worry about it. You know what? Yeah, you know what? He's a tough foe, but come on. Listen, you've been with me three years. You've been training. You're ready for this. You got this, Peter. Is that what he said? No. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you all as wheat, but I've prayed for you. That your faith will not fail. And when you have returned, strengthen your brothers. Clear implication being Simon. You've got no chance. In your own human weakness, you've got no chance against this foe. You need the Father's leading. Or your faith will be utterly destroyed in this test. Which means Jesus' teaching here in this petition is also showing us the nature of our Deliverer is not only loving and gracious, He's also powerful. He is, as that chorus we sing so often, He is mighty to save. He's the sovereign ruler of all. It means Jesus is teaching us to lift up our prayers to a Father who doesn't just want to deliver us. He actually can. He really can deliver you. As I said when we began this morning, each of these last three requests of the prayers are about an admission. They require an acknowledgement of our need. Why? Well, because you're not going to ask for something you don't think you need. It's teaching us these are your needs, and this is the place where your needs can be met. And we're asking, we're, he's leading us to ask a father who says he wants to lead us, and he will lead us through these trials and temptations we face every day as we follow him. Now that's key. He'll lead us as we follow him that we might deli be delivered from those temptations that the evil one wants to bring us into. But it's as we follow. If you think about what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10.13, he says, No temptation has seized you but that which is common to man. The Lord will be faithful to you. In each case, he will provide a means of escape. We're talking about temptations to sin here. He will provide a means of escape, but we must take it. We're asking for this leading. We're admitting our need, but we must follow his leading as he gives it to us. Or we've got no one to blame but ourselves when we fail. And in a sense... Something really cool I saw this week as I studied is that although this last petition of the prayer states it negatively, 
asking to be led out of temptations, luring grasp. There's actually a positive restatement of this exact petition in a place you might be familiar with, the 23rd Psalm. There where David prays that the Lord our shepherd would lead us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. We're asking the exact same thing there. It's stated negatively here. Lead us not into temptation. Psalm 23, lead us in paths of righteousness. We're asking the same thing. Think about the temptations that you're facing. The question I want to ask you this morning, because everyone's going to have their own things that they're tempted with. The question I want to ask you this morning is you think about those areas that you attempted again and again and again, and you maybe have a bit of success, but you fail again and again. Do you acknowledge your need to be led? Do you sense and truly agree with Jesus, I need to be led by you, Father? Are you tired out yet enough of trying to lead yourself finding yourself again and again at that dead end? Are you worn out at last from trying to convince God and everyone else around that you got it covered when again and again you prove you don't? For those of you who are tired, for those of you who are weary, for those of you who are heavy laden from trying in your own strength to do this, Jesus' promise to us is, come to me. Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest how? By by leading you to come to the one, come to that Lord who is our shepherd, who will lead you beside quiet waters, who will lead you to lie down in green pastures, He'll lead you in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, and he'll lead you even through that terrifying valley as dark as death. Even there you will fear no evil because he'll be with you. Will you acknowledge your need this morning and come to him? And then as he leads you, will you follow that leading? He's provided a means of escape. It's not a dead end. Come to the one who longs to lead you and follow where he leads. We've covered a lot over these last 10 weeks together. A whole lot through this whole series on prayer from from the why of prayer, looking at how God's desire for his church, both corporately and individually, is that we might be a house of prayer. We've looked at the, the what of prayer talking about uh, developing purposeful habits of prayer filled with the trust in our Father that, that He can actually accomplish the things we're asking Him to do. And we've looked at now these last number of weeks the how of prayer, looking at Jesus' teaching of this amazing pattern of prayer for all who follow Him. As you think back to this time together, as you think back to these weeks that we've spent Where have you been challenged? Where have you been grown? Most importantly, I want to ask you, what's different about your prayer life today because of this time we've spent together? What's different? 
As I said when we began, our desire was, was never going through this series that you would learn a whole bunch of new stuff, new information about prayer that just add to your spiritual database. It's that we would grow in our love of prayer and our love of the one to whom we're praying. Has that happened? Have you grown over this time together? We, we, we need to be those. We need to be those who love prayer, who, who come to prayer often and always. We need to be those who love the one we're praying to. Why? Because we've got a desperate mission as a church. We've got a desperate mission as God's people to see our city and our world and the billions of people that live there renewed. To see them rescued, to see them truly transformed. And here's the problem. None of us have any power in ourselves to renew anything. There's no program we're going to do here, no initiative that's going to bring about any lasting renewal. We need to be those people of prayer. So we've spent this time together, these 10 weeks together. My prayer is that what we've learned together and individually will now form the foundation of everything we do going ahead. Yes, this is the last Sunday in this series, but this is not the end of our time looking at prayer. No, may this just form the foundation that we now build on to be those people of prayer, to be those who faithfully, passionately, gratefully access our Father's heart through prayer every chance we get. That in these times we we spend together in our family prayer time on a Sunday morning, in your home groups, in your pods, when you come up here for individual prayer after the service, and you're on your own praying, may we be those who are always seeking in every chance we can to access this truly transforming power that our Father longs to pour out. He's the one who will bring renewal. He's the one who will do it. May we be those people who access it every chance we get. So I want to close this morning with a promise. A promise from God's word that I truly believe if we take hold of this promise and live it out and act on it, we will see this mission as a church accomplished and we will see his kingdom come. His promise is this. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, if they will seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven. I'll hear you. I'll forgive their sin and heal their land. Do you want to see our Father in heaven come and heal this land, renew this land? With that ever before us, let's be those people of prayer. Let's be that house of prayer. And I believe here in our own lifetime, we will see that come. We will see that renewal take place right in front of us. Let's go to prayer now. I would ask those of you, if you're helping me serve communion, if you'd come forward at this time. Our Father in heaven, 
We are amazed that we can come this morning into your presence. We forget that often when we pray, that we are standing in the very presence of the God of the universe. We come this morning with a renewed understanding and a renewed desire to be led by you. Forgive us for those times when we've ripped our hand from yours, thinking we could handle it on our own. Thank you for your graciousness in picking us up again and leading us once more when we've come to realize our need. May we be those people who are constantly aware of our need and those who demonstrate to others what a beautiful and good thing it is to be led by you. For you long to deliver us from those temptations, those things which seek to drag us away, seek us to incur greater debt with you. You long to lead us from freedom in those places. Help us to access it. Help us to access your heart through prayer every chance we get. Lead us in those paths of righteousness, we pray for your name's sake and for our glory. We pray it all in Jesus' name who gives us access to you. Amen.